What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is return guest, Coach Jay. What's up, man? How are you? Uh, yeah, thanks, man. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. For sure. So um, the first time we talked was pretty fun. We got to discuss, you know, a little bit of nutrition philosophy and coaching philosophy and all of that. And uh, um couple weeks ago, I think it was, uh, you put up a really awesome post and I like, as soon as I read through it, I was like, we got to do an episode about this. So, um, yeah. So before we jump into that, catch us up on, you know, how life has been and how things are going and all of that. Yeah. Thanks mate. I appreciate the, the positive feedback. So yeah, life hasn't been all too bad, to be honest. Um, Work is keeping busy, so I'm doing a lot of work with uh, professional football players at the moment, which is um, kind of new, um, fun and interesting. It's just a different sporting culture, really. Um, it's been like a, a bit of a forth and back for me. So I'm, I'm living in the UK, but I'm German, so I've still got a few clients in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that was kind of tricky over the summer with COVID, obviously. So, um, yeah, just since um, travel restrictions have been easing off, uh, been going back to Germany for, for, for a few weeks, uh, seeing some family and seeing some clients, doing some seminars and stuff. So it's been an, a busy but interesting summer, I would say. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I can't believe that the summer is uh, it's coming to a close. So um, basically May-ish is when uh, like the high school track season ends. And then as soon as it's over, like we start ramping up for cross country. And like, I was busy with coaching the off season and, and training myself during the off season. We had about 10 or 11 weeks of the off season. And then here we are now, we're basically in our ninth week of our 10 week season. Like we're almost done and it's starting to feel like fall here. It's, it's not really summer anymore. Although in Texas, it's, you know, it's still like mid nineties today. So it's still hot, but we, st you shouldn't have mentioned that. I mean, I live in Scotland, like it's raining <laughs> like three quarter of the year. Um, and it already feels like winter. Like it's, it's oh, getting pretty dark. That's it, no fun. It can get, like, I don't really mind to be honest. Like, um, I've, I've not lived like in a really hot country, um, besides one year in California as an exchange student. So, I'm used to rainy and like mild climate. Um, I'm just fine. I, I don't mind. But still, yeah. um, if I do see photos from like sunny places and you mentioning like, um, dig, what was it? 80 degrees Fahrenheit or what was oh, it? 75? Higher than that. Wow. Sometimes that's in the insane, 90s. Man. Yeah. That's insane. Like, I don't, I don't know the, the current temperature in Fahrenheit here, but just doing like uh, rough estimations, it should be... I don't know, 60 maybe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be different. that right when, right when we wake up, like early in the morning before the sun comes out, it's, it can drop into the sixties. Um, but yeah, it's not, not getting cold yet, but anyway, goodness. Um, dude, that's so awesome that you're, that you're working with some, some footballers here in America. We call them soccer players, but um, I know you're not allowed to say that here in the UK, though. Like you get some <laughs> some really some not really strange looks, but people actually get do get angry. Like, I bet. 
yeah it's uh it's funny like I, i don't mind like i lived in 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 america for a year i uh, i used to say soccer myself and uh, i pretty quickly realized i better switch to, to football oh yeah for sure yeah. no it's one of those things as a football fan myself uh of european football and of american football like it, it i i'm in a weird spot sometimes because like right now my saturday mornings i wake up if i'm not going to a, a cross-country meet then i turn on the tv and i'm watching arsenal or i'm watching uh, man city you know i'm watching premier league and that's football. And then later in the morning, early afternoon, I'm watching college American football. And Dude, man, um, I, I love to watch American college football. So entertaining, so entertaining, yeah. so much more fun than an NFL. Um, I agree, man. This is something that you would never see nor experience here in, in Europe is that college sport has it's just being shown on TV, like, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, that so many people are, are attending a game. Like if you go to a stadium, it's packed, man, like 30, 40,000 people watching a college game. That's you know, unthinkable here in Europe. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist there. Right. So. Yeah. It's, it's um, yeah. Different, diff- not just different countries. I mean, it's just different continents. So it does make sense, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that was good times watching college football. So I can sort of relate. That's awesome. Do you have a, do you have a specific team that you like? No, 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 no. No, um, no. that's the short, 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 <laughs> short answer to that. Not really. No. Um, I was with the NFL. I was like for a short period of time, I was sympathizing with um, the San Francisco football team mm-hmm. for a while when they, I don't know, must've been five, six year back. Uh-huh. when they made it into the finals and yep. i think the last that was like the um the final when the the lights got switched off completely and was pitch dark for like <laughs> 90 minutes or something because um i asked my um my dad to record the game and he he did record the game but he programmed it because obviously it was um, during the night here in europe just mm. to be the regular um time of i don't know how many minutes or hours and um, because it was um yeah postponed for quite a few minutes up to hours i don't know um i I didn't get to see the finish so that was um quite annoying actually yeah goodness that's that was a game i remember watching that one uh we went over to a friend's house and um one of my friends was a 49ers fan so they were not they were not thrilled but what can no, they've do? they've uh, they've done well for a few years and then um i don't know um correct me if i'm wrong but the last few years um i'm not even sure if they made it into the um the playoffs you know i i don't really know either Ooh. yeah doesn't so- matter like we're <laughs> we're not coaching any american football players or are you just nope. mainly endurance athletes mostly endurance athletes although um here and there, I'll get a high school football athlete. Yeah, but um, for the most part, uh, soccer, cross country, track, volleyball, uh, some baseball, um, tennis. It's a good mix. It's a good mix of sports. I feel like from a coaching perspective, that keeps the job interesting. I, I think so. Sport has has got its, its own 
sporting culture, um, mm. obviously physiological demands and stuff. So yeah, it's just, I personally feel like it's, it's really rewarding working with different type of athletes coming from different sports and, and not just staying within one sport. I agree. Yeah. I, I like that. I kind of have my, my background and niche in the endurance world. Um, and most of my adult athletes are endurance athletes, but, uh, it's, it's probably about a 50, 50 split with my youth athletes that are, you know, summer cross country runners track athletes, but, uh, with the track athletes, that's a lot of sprinters. So completely different types of, of issues. And then, you know, the rest of the, of the sport. So I like that variety, man. I think it helps keep me sharp. Um, just because I'm not just looking at the exact same thing over and over and over again and getting in a rut or getting lazy with my programming. I'm just like, Oh, okay. All of you distance runners or, or all of you triathletes or all of you cyclists or swimmers, or you're all the same. I'll just train you all this way. Like I can't really do that. So, um, yeah, anyway, so let's discuss this, uh, this post you put up. So tell us a little bit about, um, kind of just the generals of the post and then we will, uh, we'll, we'll move from there. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So I've always wanted to come up with something like uh, an infographic or an illustration that, that summarizes really what sports nutrition is about, you know, mm-hmm. because I feel like, um, whether you call it sports nutrition or performance nutrition, most people, there's less still a, a big misconception about like what it entails and what it actually is for most people it is either just supplements sometimes it is okay like building muscles and losing body fat um like sometimes you hear terms like fueling in the endurance world or protein if it's like strength more hypertrophy um Mm -hmm. focused sports that's that's it really so um I've always wanted to, yeah, you know, when I work, when I'm doing a seminar, when I'm, um, I'm doing, uh, working with even athletes and they don't really understand what sports nutrition is about, you know, not even mm-hmm. if, when I'm talking to coaches, I wanted to create something that summarizes that term, um, correctly and in a way that people can take something away as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I've, as I uh, texted you um, during the last few days, actually I've come up with a different graph or illustration before um, I created my, my current sports nutrition permit. And, and, and that infographic basically was just like throwing all the scientific terms in, in, in one picture mm-hmm. and trying to kind of summarize it into like six, seven pillars of you know what I think sports nutrition entails which is for me mainly um obviously um recovery and fueling then supporting uh training adaptations mm-hmm. um supporting body composition changes so that can be going either way um supporting muscle muscle growth or supporting uh, body fat loss and then obviously health um which is a very general and, and broad term um and then in the first illustration, I've just thrown in, like I said, all the specific terms, like all the supplements, all the, the different ingredients that have an effect on each of these different um, aspects or pillars. And it was just very overwhelming. And, and there wasn't really a takeaway. It was just like, okay, 
yeah, I kind of I knew already that fueling and body composition is part of sports nutrition, but that wasn't really a practical um, a takeaway, something that can be applied by an athlete or a coach. So, um, yeah, I just had that epiphany of, you know, how can I create something or come up with something that creates a hierarchy or um, actually taking a step back, I wanted to uh, create something that doesn't look directly at the outcome, let's say body composition, but I was looking at, okay, what is affecting body composition? Mm-hmm. And um, obviously the main aspect of that would be energy balance. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, so doesn't energy balance also affect other aspects of sports nutrition, like health, like mm-hmm. training adaptations, like recovery. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a completely new perspective on how to create something that summarizes sports nutrition. And then I was like, okay, so I was trying to put myself into the perspective of, of an athlete. Okay. It's like, they don't really understand like training adaptations and then specific health terms like leaky gut or whatever. They can't really relate to that. So you need to come up with something that, you know, is being understood by every athlete really. And that was another challenge. I wanted it to be applicable for every sport. And of course, you know, like physiological demands are very, very different in different disciplines and sports. Like even with an endurance sport, like a middle distance runner has completely different physiological demands than like a marathon runner or even like an ultra marathon runner. Sure. So yeah, that's sort of the the background story of um, the thinking that, that, I put into um, creating my current sports nutrition permit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty satisfied with uh, how it turned out. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty awesome, which is, yeah, why, why I wanted to talk more about it just because um, like I, I relate in that same way where most of the time I feel that people are only understanding just the surface layer of what sport nutrition is and you're leaving a whole lot of performance gains and um recovery potential injury reduction on the table if you're if you're just looking at it from this super super superficial level so um when i first saw it it reminded me of eric helms muscle and strength pyramid which involves you know, like energy balance. And, um, I think it maybe it was added in later and I don't know if he added in or other people added in, but like adherence, like that's super important. Um, and then, uh, you know, macronutrients, micronutrients, you know, supplements are at the very top and, and it just, it was, I think very useful from the perspective of, let's say you want to increase muscle mass or you want to decrease fat mass. Here's these are your priorities. Follow the pyramid from the bottom up and you'll have a lot of success. And, um, so when I saw your pyramid, I was like, Oh, it seems just like that. But then I like look a little deeper and I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't see fat on here. What's going on with that. So then, you know, I'm reading through your, um, you know, the text or the description. And I'm like, oh, man, there's so much more here than, than a sports nutrition version of that. So I thought that was really unique. And, you know, this is novel. This is, 
something legitimately different, even though maybe it just at first glance looked like that. I was like, all right, we've, we've got to talk more about this. So, um, so let's talk about, uh, how it, instead of making it a comparison, uh, you know, from the foundation level of that pyramid up, like, why is it unique? Why is it, uh, how, how is it practical? Yeah, very good question. So like I said before, I wanted it to be applicable for all sports. So that was one of the main challenges. Um, so I had to be very aware of terminology and how I wanted to phrase certain things. Um, and I also wanted to start or wanted to mention not the, the end result, let's say muscle building, or like you mentioned before, adherence, which for me is like the end result. I wanted to um, take a step back and wanted to mention the aspects that lead to that end result, right? So for me, that was uh, personal preference and um, the personal uh, lifestyle or um, needs of a client. Um, with body composition, um, it was, for example, energy intake rather than just mentioning body composition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's start at the beginning. So for me, what was the, the, is the, fun, fundam, the, the fundamental aspect of, of sports nutrition? Um, and for me personally, and um, you know me, uh, I'm, I'm quite into science and reading studies and stuff, but um, there is no, no one study or even if you take multiple studies that give you a clear ranking of different aspects of sports nutrition in, in which order to put them. So obviously it's, it's quite a bit of subjective um, interpretation on, on my behalf, but I think I've, I've done a, a pretty fair job. So the fundament for me is being healthy because if you're not healthy, you, you can't perform, you can't exercise really. If you're not, and by, by healthy, I mean, it is kind of taken for granted nowadays because especially athletes usually do feel well, mm-hmm. but there are def- definitely a significant amount of athletes that feel or that go through phases or they just feel down for a few days or the tank is empty, central nervous system needs a little, little bit more of recovery. I mm-hmm. mean, like serious stuff like hormonal disbalances, like... Um, fractures um serious overtraining where they need to take off like a year like i've experienced that um with females um menstrual health and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um so that is the basis if that's not given you can't really yeah you may be able to go for a short run but you're not able to perform at your maximum level Mm -hmm. um so everything is really affected by your health um i've also but instead of just writing health, which again would be the end result, I've taken the stand of um, trying to come from what nutritional aspects are resulting in overall health or having the most um, pronounced effect on health, which if you, I came up with the term healthy and balanced diet. I've also um, mentioned do no harm which was more in the sort of description and not in the pyramid itself which i personally think is very very important as a coach Mm -hmm. because um a lot of coaches just take that they've heard of a certain nutritional strategy doesn't even have to be like a supplement but like let's say 
are going low carb for endurance athletes and they just read an article like a blog article or whatever and they just tell all the athletes like okay forget about your carbs go high fat low carb i've mm-hmm. read like some pro athlete is, is very successful with that strategy and that that i'm not just talking about like performance but um health as well that can have some really really um negative health uh well, general uh consequences mm-hmm. so yes that's why i put eating healthy and a balanced diet as number one and that can be applied to almost any nutritional regimen or diet if you want to if you want to say so so it doesn't really matter if you are vegetarian if you're vegan if you're uh, a meat eater if you're eating paleo or low carb um you should still meet certain criteria which which is basically eating a lot um sufficient fiber covering all your micronutrient um, intakes eating mm-hmm. all your essential fats and stuff like that so all that falls into healthy and balanced um eating really so that would be my, my was or is my pick number one perfect so yeah i thought it was super important because like you said that's often just taken for granted or just assumed like uh, healthy eating, like that's what dietitians talk about sport nutrition, completely different. Like, uh, there's a huge overlap here. Everybody needs to be, uh, needs to ensure that they're like, like if you don't have your health, your health, it doesn't matter what you're doing to, uh, to focus on your new, on your nutrition or on your diet. Like you have to eat to maintain, um, optimal health first. So I thought that was super important to like and make that know, a priority it's like you said it's often taken for granted and it, it isn't unless someone is really going through a period where they feel like crap and then they start to appreciate okay this is this is actually not a given you know i need to work mm. for this i need to to it's not just about eating one portion of vegetables a day you know you need to adhere to certain nutritional standards over a, a longer period of time and if you don't do that um, at one point or another, you will definitely, it, it will backfire and, and you f- will feel, it doesn't have to feel like crap, but you definitely will feel a negative difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the other things that I, that I thought about reading that, and this relates a little bit to, to the next thing to energy intake, but I think it's important to mention it now, uh, just because you, you did mention, you know, some of the other things like, in endurance sports, especially one or two decades ago, the idea was to be as light as possible. And so there were elite level college coaches and high school coaches recommending that their athletes who were running, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus, even a hundred plus miles per week, eat no more than 2000 calories because you got to be light. You got to be as lean and light as possible. And Obviously that led to tons of auto or immune issues and, uh, stress fractures and things like that. And it's like, okay, the whole do no harm thing. That's super important because you get to a certain port port, you get to a certain point and maybe this potential performance benefit is actually resulting in a very negative health outcome. And as coaches, uh, 
it's super important to be aware of that. So, but yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So from there, let's kind of segue right into calories and energy balance. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep that one short because it's self-explanatory, really. Um, obviously, energy intake or energy balance um, is the main factor, if not the factor driving body composition. Um, but it also, and that you indirectly um, refer to that with your explanation or your example with the um, coaches in the, in the 80s and 90s, um, it can have negative health consequences. And that is being... Um, so I was taking that into consideration as well. And, and that's why I didn't write body composition, but rather energy intake of energy balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not only health that is being affected by energy balance, it is your recovery and your, um, uh, your recovery training adaptations, all these performance related aspects actually as well. If you underfueling. Uh, chronically, your glycogen stores will be depleted by after a few days or just a week or so. Your, we know that protein synthesis is um, being activated to a lower degree if you are in a calorie deficit. And, and it is a, a significant difference. We're talking about 30% difference. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, energy intake really affects a lot of things in or a lot of things related to sports performance and health in general. So that's why it was my pick number two. Gotcha. Yeah. I think like people know, but I think it's so important. Like everybody has this idea, like, okay, how much I eat matters. Like there's the, everybody probably knows someone who's had a very, very negative outcome if they try to exercise or train intensely and they haven't eaten anything that day. Like we're not talking about fasted cardio. We're talking about intense training off of no food that day or off of some junk food that day. Like you can have, uh, I won't name any names, but there was an athlete on our team who uh, didn't eat well and took a spill, let's say, went down for the count and things were not good. And that was very scary. Um, so like energy intake, it always comes back to everything has a cost when it comes to the human body, everything has a caloric cost. You have to pay for whatever you're doing. You've got to pay for the training. There's a cost to that. You have to pay for the recovery. There's a cost to that. There's a cost to maintaining your immune function. There's a cost to maintaining, you know, everything, everything has a cost. There's no such thing as a free lunch, especially when it comes to movement, training, adaptations, recovery, all of that. And if you're, it doesn't matter if you are following a nutrient timing strategy that allows you to replenish your glycogen stores immediately after training. That doesn't matter if you're in such a calorie deficit because you have no idea how many calories you need to ingest and how many calories you're expending. Like that has to be a priority. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And just picking up on that example that you mentioned, that is actually a really good example for, uh, for showing or discussing why energy intake is so important. Because even if you're taking in a lot of carbs right after training, but you are being in a noble um, energy deficit, you are not 
um, replenishing your glycogen stores as efficiently as um, you would be if you, you know, be in a um, eucaloric diet or even if in a caloric surplus. So mm-hmm. that's why energy intake is so important. Like you said, it, it has an effect on everything, really. Um, recovery, um, immune system, health, body composition. And most people think it's just, you know, fat mass and that's it. But it's so much more to it. Sure. Yeah, I was, I'm doing a little bit of a, a series on my podcast where I'm reading chapters from a, the first book I wrote, which is all about hormones. And so many of these hormones, uh, leptin, ghrelin, insulin, CCK, PYY, GLP-1, all, all these hormones have, enough, have a different effect if you're in calorie maintenance versus calorie surplus versus calorie deficit. And like, if you, so you have to know that it's important to know that, like, it's not just all those things, like even your hormonal function, like it's different if you're, you know, if you're not aware of your energy balance, energy intake, things like that. So, yeah. So what's, what's next in this? Yeah. So what's next? And I think this is one of the biggest differences between my permit and the Eric Harms permit. And instead of just saying macronutrients, I specifically decided to um, write down carbohydrates, protein, and overall fluid intake. And so I basically, I exchanged dietary fats with fluids. Hmm. Um, and, and the reason behind this is that if you look at the literature, scientific literature, there's this n- no real mechanism nor any like overall evidence that's pointing out that dietary fat has a direct impact on sports performance. Um, with the maybe only exception of MCT oils when you're on a low carbohydrate diet, that's like mm-hmm. the only scenario that I can think, think of, but that, that's really it. Obviously, carbs are important for every sport, really more important for um, sports with high intensity, longer duration, um, protein more important with like uh, shorter duration, high intensity, like hypertrophy, sort of anaerobic um, demands. Um, But dietary fat is, there's no direct link between fat and performance. And the reason behind this is that we've got plenty of dietary fatty acids stored as body fat. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, we're using within any sport we really, but mainly within endurance sport, we're using a lot of fatty acids as um, for production of ATP for energy. But if you're not eating that many dietary fats, the body's just simply breaking down body fat into triglycerides, three fatty acids and a glycerol, mm-hmm. and then it's being oxidized. And um, so we get so, so many, um, so much energy being stored as dietary fat that it doesn't really matter um, once you've reach a certain minimal intake that is required. And I think mm-hmm. that's important to mention. Yeah. Um, but that minimal intake is only or is, is mainly important for your, your health. For, mm-hmm. um, you need dietary fats for the absorption of, of um, certain vitamins, of, um, for the production of hormones, for the production of digestive um, juices, for example. So there mm-hmm. are important um, properties to dietary fats or aspects that we do need dietary fats for 
Um, but I placed that into the first pillar of my pyramid, which is health and not mm -hmm. performance. And that's why I didn't mention dietary fats um, separately. Um, and I skipped that one and decided to, okay, um, I wanted to focus more on the performance aspect. And I felt the fluid is, uh, is definitely worth a mention here, which wasn't, um, if I remember correctly, wasn't mentioned in the Eric Helms uh, version of the pyramid. Correct. Yeah. 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 No, I think, and then, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I think just, um, one, one or two quick sentences to add on to that. Obviously the, the emphasis between carbs and protein and fluid, they vary a little bit between sports, like mm -hmm. no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously if you're just doing like you're hitting the gym, uh, weights for, you know, you want to look like, um, I don't know, some shredded guy for the beach. Um, protein is probably most important. Um, fluid intake can probably be neglected. And yeah, carbon trade is like sort of in the, in the middle. Um, with the endurance sports, carbs are more important, protein less important, mainly because you're eating so many calories anyways that it's very easy to, to reach your required amounts of, of protein. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, these are just two examples of how the importance of each of the aspects within that one pillar, meaning carb, protein, and fluid can vary slightly between different sports. So I think that's important to mention, um, but overall, um, yeah, this was my, the three aspects I placed um, in, in sort of the, the third pillar of my um, sports nutrition. And I didn't just want to write down like macronutrients because I thought that wouldn't give sports nutrition justice. Yeah, with the like you said, with the exception of like uh, medium chain triglycerides or maybe ketones, you could classify as a potential quote unquote fat supplement. But even ketones aren't; it's not fat, right? So it's it's uh, it's something different. It's something made from the you know um, the metabolic processes around fat metabolism. So, um, but yeah, with those exceptions, like. Yeah, there's, there's very few people, cause I can't say there's no one, but there are very few people who are ingesting fat during any activity and seeing a performance benefit from it. Like, even if you're like zero carb or, or such a low carbohydrate diet, like, uh, yeah, you've, you've quote unquote fat adapted your body and metabolism to run officially on that. But if you added in some carbohydrate, I'm sure your performance would improve. So, <laughs> so I mean, we'll, we'll come to that later. I mean, the, the sort of train low, compete high um, regimen. I mean, there's definitely evidence behind it and, and I'm not saying it doesn't work. Um, but even if you look at the pro level um, of um, triathlon and, and long endurance sports in generally, it is only making up a very small margin of the overall training volume. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think it is still okay not to mention dietary fats um, by themselves. Um, and I place sort of these strategies in like specific sport specific challenges, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's the sort of the terminology that I came up with, but um, yeah, we'll dive into that later. Yeah, no, I, I like, I like that. So, um, 
so progressing from that, what's what's the next priority or what's the next layer? So yeah, next is um, as really keeping in, um, simple and, and straightforward is nutritional strategies around training. So pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout for fueling and recovery, really. Um, and it doesn't really matter which sport you do, if it's a team sport like, like football or soccer, if it's um, endurance sports or even strength sports, yes, the, the emphasis of each of the three different aspects I mentioned might be different. For example, like uh, for an endurance athlete, it might be more important to fuel during a workout, mm -hmm. whereas for a strength athlete, the recovery aspect and protein intake after training is more important. Mm -hmm. But that's why I phrase it peri-workout nutrition, which is basically a summary term for uh, nutritional strategies around training so pre intra and post workout nutrition mm -hmm. yeah sure. i mean and that it kind of makes sense this is where the body is primed to absorb nutrients and to support uh, training adaptations on a cellular level right this is where we need to fuel the body replenish energy stores glycogen stores we need to provide amino acids for muscle protein synthesis um, et cetera, et cetera. We need the, the carbs and certain micronutrients to support the immune system mm -hmm. um, and so forth. Yeah. I, I think uh, this is often considered the uh, nutrient timing. It's so it's quite trendy and it often, unfortunately takes a lot of the, uh, the emphasis or people spend more time and we kind of talked about this earlier, but focusing on like, okay, I've got to get X amount of protein and X amount of carbs now because I just finished training and they do that. And they're still in a calorie deficit by 500 calories for the day or a thousand calories for there, whatever the case may be. Um, and like, it is important, but, uh, as you've set it up, like it's still not as important as health. It's still not as important as energy intake. It's not a, as important as your total carb intake and your total protein and maintaining your hydrate hydration status. Like there's a whole lot of other stuff involved there. So I think it, it's, it is important, but it is not the most important. And I like the way that you've structured it that way and explained it that way because it, it can have significant effects. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. It is. It's, it's definitely important. It shouldn't be neglected, but it's, mm. I think it's like you said, this is, what people, or by people, I mean athletes, really, this is what they focus on and not just focus on, but this is the only focus oftentimes. Like, yeah. okay, it only matters to what I eat after training. Mm -hmm. And then they go back on their crappy diet or not eating or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of that, unfortunately, was from like, so when I got to grad school, like our nutrition classes were like, everything is nutrient timing and everything is this this post-exercise anabolic window and that was the focus and like everybody thought like okay this is it this is the thing and that was unfortunately at the detrimental because it kind of threw under the bus all of those other layers of the pyramid that are foundational to that portion of the pyramid actually providing benefits so um yeah i think uh, luckily I think people are starting to understand that and hopefully getting this message out will, you know, provide some education and, and this is practical y'all like this is super helpful. If you're focusing just on your, 
your pre-workout and taking a pre-workout with a ton of stimulants and caffeine and then um, getting your protein shake on the back end. Like that's really not doing yourself the most good. Like there's things you should be prioritizing. And I think it's the main reason behind that is because, I mean, A, it kind of makes sense because, you know, eating matters when or right after you've worked out. But B, I think it's mainly because people are lazy Mm. and it's, it gives them an excuse to just focus on one meal Mm. rather than, you know, implementing a dietary um, strategy for an entire week. Mm -hmm for different training demands, for an off day, for an intense day, for competition, for traveling. That's work, man. And that's why you need, uh, well, not everyone, but some athletes do need a nutritionist because it is not, like you said, just about the post or pre-workout meal. There's so much more to it. And um, if you look at the pyramid, it's right in the middle. So yes, it is important, but other aspects are definitely more important. And um I think you've done a, a very good job of, of, of explaining and mentioning why in, in the, the grand scheme of things, energy intake and eating healthy and, and especially carbs and protein over the day, the total amount are a lot more ex- uh, important than just what you eat right after training or before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this just kind of made me, you know, think of this, like when I'm explaining these concepts, especially to a younger athlete, Sometimes it's like, all right, it's, it's going to be way too much to try to get them to understand their total, like what is healthy? Like, yeah, they have, they have an idea. So like explain to them like, okay, you need to make sure that you're eating healthy food and you're maintaining your health. And what does all that mean? And, and then from there, like trying to get a middle school athlete or even a high school athlete to understand energy intake is sometimes like a bridge too far. It's, maybe not uh, age appropriate, maybe like maybe that's too much to focus on. So uh, sometimes I'll start with, with parent nutrition for an athlete who's younger, just because like, Hey, you can be responsible for this. And we start here and we'll cover more concepts and, and, more priorities as we get for as we go forward, but let's start here and then let's build out from there. And I think, uh, like I said, especially for younger athletes or for someone who's never really spent any time prioritizing, uh, health and nutrition at all in general, like starting with like, what are, what are some steps that you can control right now and that you can ensure that we're making uh, progress and then kind of building out from there. I don't know if you found that to be helpful as well, but. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I've recently been working with uh, some youth footballers as well and communication and wording is everything. And I mean, depending on the age, but most of them are still eating at home, right? So mm-hmm. um, they can't really influence what's being put on, on the plate for dinner. And to change that, you would have to, to talk to the parents directly, but not only that, but convince them to change probably their own, their own diet and cooking mm-hmm. in order to, you know, um, have a sustainable effect on the health and the performance of their children. So that's, yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to differentiate between 
the theory, theoretical difference it makes and what is realistic in real world, right? So mm-hmm. um, you should just work with what you have, both as a coach as, and an, uh, as an athlete. Um, in an ideal world, yes, the, the carbs would be, the proportion of carbs and the portion sizes would be bigger on a high-intensity day after, you know, after training. Mm-hmm. But to implement that with all the parents of an entire team is close to impossible. Yeah. You know, you can, you can run a seminar and educate the parents, but like how many are going to, to change and implement um, what you've taught them? It's, it's not that many. So, sure. yeah. Alrighty. So what's, uh, what's next? Yeah. The next one is an interesting one. I um, came up with the term sports specific challenges and I've, it really took me a while to, to find a good, a good wording for that, that one because um, I just throw a few terms out there. Like every sport has, has got its own culture really. Um, and with that, I mean, it's probably easiest to explain with an example. For example, when I, when I was in the States, um, I was 17 years old and I did wrestling in high school and I've never done any combat sports before. Um, so obviously the weight cut was completely new for me and that is very sport specific. So that's combat sports or weight category sport specific with other sports. Um, it's travel, uh, depending on, you know, especially in the States, actually, you know, distance are just so much longer than here in Europe. Like even youth teams, they travel hours, many, many hours on the bus. That's, that's not a thing here, (laughs) you know? Um, this, but this is very sport specific. So that doesn't really apply to, or that issue or challenge only applies to certain sports. Other things would be, or other examples would be uh, for endurance sports would be exposure to heat, Mm -hmm. right? So running in the heat for many, many hours, um, in Texas where it's hot, right? Um, or for example, in other sports, it may be rules. That's an interesting Mm -hmm. one as well, because, Mm -hmm. You can, you can plan as much as you want. If there's no access for the athlete to fuel or hydrate, rehydrate during a competition, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do really. So rules do matter as well. So these are all sports-specific challenges um, that can differ between sports. And that's why I chose a very generic term. Yeah. In, uh, in high school, cross-country and track, there is no intra workout nutrition. That's not a thing that exists. Um, and because of that, and this is extremely unique, um, the emphasis on doing some workouts, uh, either fasted or before you've had carbohydrates for the day, um, can be a potential, uh, signal for your body to either become more reliant on, uh, body fat as a source of fuel or a stimulus to, uh, as you go into your post-workout nutrition, increase, uh, glycogen stores. So like the, the sports specific challenges are definitely huge. Like, and if you're not aware of that and you're just following a generic, you know, uh, meal plan or nutrition strategy for, you know, basketball where they have 
multiple timeouts, like college basketball, you, even college basketball, media timeouts where you've got, you know, <laughs> they've got to run two to three minutes of commercials. So that's how long your timeout is. Like there's a long time for you to, to refuel and rehydrate and recover versus a collegiate 10K where you've got 6.2 miles of continuous effort and there's nothing you can do to pause or take a break or, you know, there's no timeouts. So um, understanding those, those differences, I think is really important. And I think it's important to mention um, that obviously as, as an athlete and as a coach as well, you only need to be aware of the, the, the challenges within your one sport, right? So you don't have to read up on weight cut if you're an endurance athlete. I mean, that's uh, self-explanatory. But um, yeah, just be aware of what the challenges are for you and your sport and then discuss with your, with your you know, coach or nutritionist, come up with a, a strategy that works for you. So that's where the um, individualization and, and then try to customize everything um, individually to put your personal needs um, also comes into play. Awesome. Yeah. So from there, what's, uh, what's next? Yeah. So next is um, you could say uh, quality of macronutrients. I've um, decided to uh, ditch the fats again. So it's just quality or type of protein and carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Both are known to have effects on with proteins on muscle protein synthesis with carbohydrates is the both the type of carbohydrates meaning the um if it's a simple sugar or um a, a longer sugar chain making a, a polysaccharide mm -hmm. um it does have an effect on glycogen replenishment but the overall difference between um Let's, let's stick to the carbohydrate example. If you're eating 400 grams of carbohydrates, most of it is um, long-chained carbohydrates, then the difference will be very small um, to a diet where it's 400 grams with mainly sugars, which are being absorbed quicker. Mm -hmm. um, but the overall difference is, is can be neglected, really. And it's very similar with protein as well. Yes, um, if you're comparing 20 grams or 25 grams of animal protein to a single source of uh, vegan protein, let's say wheat protein, yes, there, there is a difference in uh, muscle protein synthesis. But then again, you have to remind yourself, this is only um, a cellular signal. If you look at studies that compare the outcome, which is muscle growth and or performance, I mean, the difference are minute if not even existing. If overall protein intake and carbohydrate intake are being met, right? So this is why this is placed in the um, further towards the bottom in the pyramid and the type or the quality of protein and carbohydrate are, are less important. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a hard pill for some people to swallow, man. Like, uh, yeah. sorry, people... sorry to disappoint you guys. Yeah. <laughs> people get so dogmatic about the quality of what they eat, which um, a lot of that stems, stems from the, you know, the clean eating, um, uh, kind of side of maybe sports nutrition, where it's like, I don't have to worry about how much I'm eating because I'm eating all these high quality foods. Well, you know, that's, that's great. It's important. But at the end of the day, quantity tops quality. 
Like I agree with, I agree a hundred percent with you on this. Like it's yes, it's important. And that's the thing. People are like, Oh, you don't think the quality of my protein and my carbs are important. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's very important, but it's not as important as hitting your protein need for the day and hitting your total carbs for the day. Like there's also to, to add something to that. I think, um, to avoid misconception of what I meant with the, the, the terming or the, um, yeah, the terminology here, protein quality mainly refers to the, the amino acid profile, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean whether it's, a, a, an organic chicken that has been raised in a farm and seen sunshine for a year or two versus mm-hmm. like, um, a chicken that's never been outside and only lived three, three months and has been fed like antibiotic food or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean with quality here. So with protein, I was, re- I'm referring to the amino acid profile and with the type of carbs, and that's why I don't specifically say quality with the carbohydrates type of carbohydrates mm-hmm. is, um, simple sugars with this, um, help me out here with a word, um, What's the another word for complex carbohydrates I'm looking for here? It's getting uh, late. I don't know. You've got monosaccharides, polysaccharides. We've got yeah, polysaccharides is more the yeah scientific term. Anyways, um, starch, starch, you know, starchy carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's very important for overall health. Feed starchy carbohydrates, but that's that falls and look at the category of healthy eating and and doesn't really have an effect on on performance. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to throw that out and mention it because I think it's important to take that into consideration. Um, and then also, you know, what's really funny sometimes, I don't know how familiar you are with, um, or you're following the the bodybuilding community, but you, you always hear like, even like Mr. Olympia, you know, winners, it's important to mix up your protein sources like tuna and then chicken and then beef, you know, all the different amino acids, like, no. Like it's, it's just a simple no, like unless you're a vegan, if you look at the amino acid profiles, they're so similar. Mm-hmm. It's so similar. Like there's no, almost no difference between beef and chicken. Mm. And if you're a vegan, yes, it's important to, you know, eat multiple sources of um, plant, plant-based proteins, but that's the exception. And other than that, it doesn't really matter to mix up and different protein sources. Um, it's probably important for other health reasons to get different, you know, micronutrients. Some has more zinc. The other food is more copper, um, vitamin B12, whatever. So yeah, there are other reasons, but with regards to muscle building, it's, you know, it can be completely neglected. Sure. Yeah. If all you're eating is, uh, uh, let's say tuna or sardines, or if you're, if you're only eating, eating certain types of fish, maybe you might have an issue with mercury. Um, and that would be a problem, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with that's, you that that falls under health. Like that's exactly priority. Number one. So from there, we're almost to the tip of the pyramid, but, uh, what is what's number seven or what's the next step? Yeah, so that probably requires some food explanation. It's not self-explanatory. So I named it strategies for extreme physical demands. And you can basically think of that for, um, it's a description of an overreaching phase in training. So basically, if you have a 
training block and you've come off a taper, you start off easy it's, and you're, you know, starting a few weeks, medium intensity, then you're going high intensity. And towards the end, you know, you're going all out. You feel like you can't, you can't walk after, after training, you feel like shit for multiple hours. Um, with, within elite sports, it might be certain training camps that prepare you for major competitions. It can be high altitude training for endurance athletes. It can be training camps for combat sport athletes. Mm -hmm. It can be off season for American football and European football, where they, you know, really trying to build up their aerobic um, and anaerobic um, training system. So this is what I'm meaning by extreme physical demands. And depending on the sport, it requires different nutritional strategies to, I don't want to say counter, um, but because this, the, the, the physiological stress is so high, you need this, there's a need for additional nutrients, additional calories, additional fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it might actually be a time to, to take a multivitamin or an antioxidant, mm-hmm. when I would never recommend to do that on a daily basis for anyone really, if you're eating healthy. Um, and there are actually studies showing that it might counteract um, training adaptations to take vitamin C or vitamin E on a mm-hmm. higher dosage. But if the stressor is so high, you need more antioxidants as well. And um, oftentimes what I experience as a coach is, um, unfortunately, the, the higher the training intensity and the higher the training volume, the, that does affect and the, the hunger sensation as well. So athletes just don't want to eat. Mm-hmm. They're, or they, they feel hungry the day after maybe, but not the 10 or eight hours after training when they're training in the morning. Right. They just feel so racked. They want to sleep and they completely forget to train. And that's like the, uh, to, to eat, I mean, excuse me. Um, and that's like the worst thing you can do. So um, there are definitely things to consider during training blocks when you're going all out from, from multiple angles. angles. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically the thinking behind that. Obviously, depending on the level of the level you're competing at, you might actually never do like like over an overreaching phase like people have no idea how hard that can be at an elite level this Mm -hmm. is we're talking like extreme physical exhaustion here Mm -hmm. um so it's not like a triple training like yeah i feel sore after after training for a day like we we're talking you don't want to move for three days but you have to go and do it again the next day Mm -hmm. yep and so there, there are multiple things to consider depending on the sport um you're doing and like altitude training is a, a good example for obviously the change of geological location as well um yeah so that's that's the thinking behind behind the second to last pillar which which i call strategies for extreme physical demands yeah i think that's a, a another important one to include just because there are depending on the on your sport, there are phases or there are times where you can't just like the status quo isn't going to cut it. Like you're doing things that do require you to, to add things in or to change things in order for you to, um, to be able to see it through to the end, like overreaching can be extremely effective, 
but only if you are uh, like you, you can't be in an overreaching phase forever. Like that's not a, that's not a long-term successful strategy. So uh, the, you know, the, the punishment, the punishment has to fit the crime, right? Like the, the, the strategies that you employ have to meet the demands that you're imposing. So I think that's. Absolutely. And I think it's not just from a nutritional standpoint, like a lot of recovery strategies need to be adapted um, and potentially changed. For example, um, we know that doing like uh, being exposed to cold water or doing like an ice bath, um, that can have a positive effect on short-term recovery, but it might blunt long-term training adaptations on a cellular level. So you don't want to do that on a daily basis, which mm -hmm. is like a, a mistake many pro athletes actually do. They have like their own little ice bath in the, in the backyard. They're doing it after every training session. It's not something you want to do. Same with like taking a sauna, similar, just different, um, different temperature, but kind of like has, does have similar effects. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a place for these strategies. And I would say um, it is doing these very high demands um, during a, a certain cycle, training cycle. And uh, it does apply to nutrition as well. Like one strategy that I specifically, like I work with a lot of CrossFit athletes, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and when they have or go through an overreaching phase or a competition, I make sure that taking high antioxidants to reduce muscle damage. Um, I make sure they take um, tart cherry juice, so concentrated cherry, mm -hmm. to again reduce delayed uh, muscle soreness. Mm -hmm. um, but never recommend any athlete to do that on a daily basis because, again, it's kind of like taking away the need for the body to adapt to the stress right. because you're, um, how, you, how, how am I phrasing this best? You're giving the body extra tools to for a quick fix, mm -hmm. but that's that's robbing you from the opportunity to adapt to the stressor uh, in the long term yourself. Right. Yeah. You're that makes sense. The training is to send a signal, and then if exactly. you if you employ the, uh, these high dose antioxidants, well, now you're blunting that signal. So your, right. your adaptation, like you just did all that training. And now you won't maximize the benefit from it. Exactly. You're taking something that's, that's doing the job for you, whereas you want your, your body, your natural physiology to adapt to that stressor to training. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, unfortunately, this tends to be most people's uh, initial idea when it comes to sport nutrition. So what, uh, what can you tell us about supplements? Supplements. Yeah. Um, I do recommend supplements actually. It's not, that I hate them. Um, but this is small list that has a good evidence behind them. Um, it has to be sport specific. So mm. not every supplement works for every sport. Mm -hmm. Um, it should be matched with the training cycle. So even within the sport, you're doing, going through different demands and training different training systems. Um, so that needs to be taken into consideration. And then if you look at the overall effect that supplements have on performance, it's, it's really small. It, it really is small. And especially, I think we've chatted about this briefly um, right after our uh, first, first chat. Um, and that is the fact that supplements, 
pretty much doesn't matter which one. Um, they have a smaller effect in trained athletes than in beginners. Mm. And the difference between like between training levels between a novice athlete and a serious competitive athlete is quite big. Mm. And I would say, I would argue with a, a competitive athlete that has five to 10 years of training under the belt, um, you, you won't see more than 1% difference with regards to performance. Um, and with that, I mean, just one certain type of training. So obviously when you take creatine, for example, it is mainly strength and potentially hypertrophy. You're not going to run faster because of, of hypertrophy uh, of, of, um, of creatine. Um, whereas with the beginner, we see massive increases in, 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 in muscle, muscle mass and, and strength performance mm-hmm. um, all the way up to 5%, um, if not even more. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that may not sound that much, not 0.5 to 1% versus 5%. But if you like, do the math and compare it with the numbers, it's a massive difference. It mm-hmm. really is. And another good one is um, nitrate or what's more popular among athletes is the beetroot mm-hmm. concentrate. Yep. I can't remember the author, um, but I'll, I can send it over to you if you're interested. They, they did a really interesting study when, where they had three different groups um, in which they allocated the participant based on their VA, VO2 max. Right? I think it was um, might have been under 45, between 45 and 60, and then over 60 or over 65, something, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to distinguish between like a beginner, a trained athlete, and then uh, a well-trained athlete. And they actually saw this very strong correlation between the higher the, the level of fitness, the lower the effect of the supplement. And actually with, within the elite ranks, and I, I might have to correct myself, I think it was higher than 60 or 65 VO2 max. I think it was more 70, but I'll, I can look it up. Um, there was actually 0% difference in, in, in performance. Whereas with beginners, I think it was four, four point something. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, so it's, it's massive. And I think it's, it's an aspect that's completely overlooked. Again, I do recommend and use supplements with my athletes, but there are so many other aspects that should be taken into consideration and worked on before you, you know, extend your supplement list. Sure. No, I, I totally agree with that. Like at the end of the day, it's to fill in a gap. And if there's a gap, why not, why not address that with, uh, because if, if there is a gap, then it's probably having an effect on your health and it's probably absolutely like good example. I was just working or finished working with uh, a youth football player and no matter what, like he only liked two vegetables. (laughs) It's pepper and cucumbers. It's, It's all he ate. And, and well, like, Cucumber, you can't really put in any hot dishes. Mm. Like you don't want to put cucumber in a curry or on a pizza. Uh, it's not working that well. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I was running a few analyses and I knew he was, you know, it was very likely that he, he was deficient in a few micronutrients. So 
of course I recommended uh, a rep, um, you know, a multivitamin, mm-hmm. um, including some, some minerals from a reputable source, um, which was checked from a third party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he wouldn't pop up for um, doing anti or doping tests with like mm-hmm. contaminated substances. So that's something to, to consider as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, this is one of the exceptions, you know, where one of these supplements do make sense and they will have a direct effect both on health and probably performance. And there are a few others only affect performance, caffeine, creatine, sodium bicarbonate, um, and whatnot, like two or three more. Um, but that's it really. Like Ascendium's after, yes, sport drinks, electrolytes, and instant carbohydrates. Um, but that's it really. Anything else falls into the category of like, okay, nice to have, or even might do harm. You know, coming back to the first pillar of the, um, of the pyramid, there are actually studies showing that taking... Um, Oh, my, my brain's just stopping to work here. It's getting late here. We're talking about with the, with the, the fatty acids and the fat metabolism, the substance that you take to, to support fatty acid metabolism and potentially improve performance. Does that MCT? ring a bell? MCT yeah, MCT. Or... Um, ketones. ketones. Ketones is the word I was looking for. Yeah. So there are obviously different types of ketones, but there are a few studies actually showing that, okay, it's not only not improving performance, but it might uh, be detrimental to performance. Wow. And might you, you know, make you run slower. So yeah. that's, or for example, with uh, sodium bicarbonate, uh, it has a hell of evidence showing that it's actually really effective um, improving performance, but at what cost? Like you might poop 50, your pants. 50 to 60% of the people ending up in the bathroom and not coming out again. Sure. Yeah. Right. So a lot of digestive issues. So a lot of things to take into consideration when you are recommending or not recommending a certain supplement. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're totally right. Uh, another, another thing about ketones is, um, the type, like you said, like if it's, bound to, if it's yeah. bound to salt versus like, uh, bound to, uh, like the liquid ketone versus the powdered ketones, like if you go a little too heavy with those ketones, you might be ingesting a huge bolus of, of electrolytes of calcium or magnesium or whatever the case may be. And that can have some seriously negative effects too. If, um, if you're mega dosing perhaps with some of those electrolytes that, that can mess up your, uh, your hydration status pretty, pretty quick. So. I mean, the, the ketone esters versus mm-hmm. the, the ketone salts yeah absolutely yes. massive difference For sure. i mean we do need more research and as always context matters um with this one for example your budget is so expensive like even if it doesn't improve your performance by i don't know uh, a tiny bit like unless you're a professional athlete and are being sponsored it's, it's very unlikely that you can afford taking that supplement on a daily basis for a prolonged time yeah, those ketone esters are not cheap. That's for sure. So that's that's really my, my pyramid with the addition of, in the Eric, Eric Helms pyramid, it was adherence. And I, again, and as I described earlier, I was trying to describe it more from a practical perspective of what do you have to do to increase adherence. And for me, that's uh, adapting and customizing recommendations based on the personal needs and preferences uh, of a client. If that's being met, 
then the likelihood that the adherence of anyone is high is, is, is not too bad. Mm -hmm. For sure. So um, that's pretty concise, man, to explain all that. Like, yeah, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot if you dig deep, but from like, just looking at it, like it's not so over the top or complex that like everyone, sh everyone can, you know, can pull something extremely practical and useful from this. So, um, so what, what do you think is the most important takeaway from, from this, like for athletes when they, when they look at, at your sport nutrition pyramid? I think you've actually done a fairly good job of summarizing what my takeaway would be. And that is, um, you know, making sure to take the basics, check them off mm -hmm. as often as possible. Um, and that means eating healthy, um, meeting your energy requirements. And as an athlete, um, that sort of can be checked by, you know, if you're a youth athlete, yes, your, your, your body weight might not just be affected by body fat and muscle mass just simply because you're maturing, you're growing. Mm -hmm. But then again, you can measure your, um, your waist circumference as a you know, plus. If that's not going up, um, and any, but the, the total weight is going up, you, um, basically know that you're not gaining fat mass and all the weight that you're gaining is either bone water or muscle mass. So, mm -hmm. um, that's a simple way to do it. Um, and I think it's more applicable than using any scientific recommendation, uh, equations to calculate your personal calorie requirements and then, uh, tracking your, your calorie intake for multiple days and doing adjustments. That's it's all very fancy stuff, but, you know, just checking your, your weight on the scale and potentially measuring your um, circumference of your waist is completely sufficient, in my, in my opinion. So those two, two, two aspects are very important. And then next would be, okay, total carb and protein intake um, with adjustments or with um, considerations to your specific sport, obviously. So if it's a strength sport, higher protein a little or lower to medium carbon taken if it's endurance sports or team sport it's it's rather the the uh, high end of carbon take and medium intake of, of protein mm -hmm. um that's i mean if, if you check off these boxes you're doing a lot of a lot of things right already mm -hmm. right and then the the recovery nutrition and the nutritional strategies right before you work out or match day um probably next important and i think with that i want to add it's very important that you test things in training before you play anything for a match or competition mm -hmm. um and anything else that we've discussed is like the cherry on the top I, so it's eating healthy um making sure you're not overeating or undereating, um making sure you're meeting your carb and your protein intake I have a good idea of what how much fluid you're losing, how much, you know, your sweat rate. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, have a tackle, have a go at your recovery and pre-workout nutrition. And that, that's it really like work your way up, you know, mm -hmm. um, usually you can check off a few of these boxes already. So you won't have to focus on all four of the things that I've mentioned. Maybe it's just one or two. Mm -hmm. And, um, if it's all four things that you've been doing great already, then great. I mean, then, that's like the reward. Then you can get to work on the specifics, on the details, and it's a lot more fun. I get that. But um, make sure to take, take off the basics first. 
I can't say any of that any better than that. That's that's perfect. It's a good good way to wrap it Thank out. you. So, um, so how can people follow you? How can they reach out to you? How can how can they make that happen? Um, so yes, um, I'm being found by the the name company's name is Athlete Coach, and Athlete is written L E A T. So like we would eat, mm -hmm. eating food. Um, you'll find me on Instagram, uh, on my website. Um, yeah, the website is athletecoach.com. Um, handle on Instagram is just athletecoach. And yeah, I'm posting regularly. I'm trying to interact with um, all my followers. Um, I'm coaching clients with all different types of sporting backgrounds. So I'm not just posting about strength sport or one other sport. I'm trying to mix it up and keep it interesting for my audience. Love it, man. Well, I, I love your posts. I think they're extremely educational. And uh, every once in a while, I'll like compare the English to like the German, and I'm like, okay, never mind. I'll just scroll back to the English. But I think it's always fun to to look at that because you know it's just. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, I've, I've just decided to uh, create a, a second Instagram channel, mm. um, and um, you know the the main one that the run the one I'm running at the moment is going to be solely in English and mm -hmm. then the new one is going to be just in, in German so um yeah that was kind of a challenge for me and my followers to kind of like mix the two languages I was doing my very best but I completely understand it was kind of like hard to, to follow at some times yeah I thought it was cool uh, I mean I only know one language man so yeah it's always always good to to I think be exposed to things outside of just what you know so um dude it's always good to talk with you thank you so much i appreciate your time and uh yeah i can't wait till uh till we get you on again i know you're gonna post something awesome in the future and i'll be like hey let's talk about it so yeah i hope so once in a while um i come up with uh, some something great and then for the remaining 11 months of the year. I feel like I'm doing mediocre stuff, but um, <laughs> I guess that's still better than what most people come up with. So, well, that's true. I think, I think all your stuff's pretty good. I think you, you know, you, it's obvious that you're putting some time and effort into it and uh, I can tell. So I appreciate it. It's yes, mate. Appreciate it. For sure. Well, all yeah, right. it's, uh, it's been fun to, to be on back, uh, back again, always good to, to catch up and talk some nutrition and um, hope, um, a few athletes have taken a few things away. That's, you know, mm -hmm. the, the main point why I'm doing this is to help athletes. Um, and yeah, if it's just one or two that um, have taken a few practical things away and what to focus on and why, then go accomplished, man. I agree. I agree. Awesome. All right, y'all. Well, uh, thanks for watching and listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.